Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. All right. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I am Catherine Murray, and I'm pleased to bring you our guest today, Scott Willis. He's got over 15 years of institutional experience uh, on Bay Street and Wall Street, um, specialties in energy, as well as technology. I know you're going to add to that as well, uh, Scott. So thanks for being here with us today. We're going to get a couple of great ideas from you. Yes, you will. Thanks, Kath. I should also mention, of course, uh, that you are a uh, partner at Grizzle and co-manage the um, the Grizzle ETF, the growth one, G-R-Z-Z, correct? That's, that's right. Yeah, we, we've been uh, managing that for about three months. It's been an exciting ride. Nice. Why has it been so exciting? It's been a really tough market. Let's start there. Well, we thrive in tough markets. We kind of were thrown into the blender as far as this is kind of as tough as markets go as far as uncertainty, but that's kind of what gets us up in the morning. So we've we've been uh, very happy with the performance. I think we're you know top percentile in, in the growth bucket across North America, really as, as good as you can hope for. And just so we've been able to manage these markets, which kind of makes us excited to, to get to the point where we have more uh, understanding of what's going to come next. That's, that's interesting um, that you've managed it that well. Do you think that's because um, of the certain sectors and stocks that you were very focused on and kind of timing that with, with the fundamentals that would be working now? Yeah, I think this is really kind of a bigger picture market. So if you get the bigger picture sector calls right, you're going to do better than stock picking uh, is, is a harder game right now. So hmm. we have a differentiated view in growth on certain sectors, energy being one of those. And that's really helped us stand out from the pack, which I will talk about in some of my picks. Yeah, so let, let's talk about that then. Let's start with your picks and, and talk about the energy ones and, and the themes surrounding your, your decision there. Sure. So there's one big theme that's that's going on that's driving a lot of our energy stock picks. Now, there's it's very uh, seldom in your career that you find a sector-wide, multi-year, like powerful theme that you can play just for year after year after year. I've been doing this for 15 years. I've found three. This is hmm. one of them. So this is why we're so excited. It's this idea that you have natural gas. It typically was landlocked. U.S. natural gas can't make its way to Europe. It can't make its way to Asia. That's changing with the help of LNG, which is liquefied natural gas. It lets you, you know, turn gas from a gas into a liquid, move it wherever you want. So that's going to revolutionize the North American gas market. And what we're playing for over the next, say, five to 10 years is that the price of North American gas will converge with the rest of the world. And I don't know if you've looked at gas prices lately. U.S. gas is $7. And Europe and Asia are between 35 and 45. So wow. there's a big opportunity there. So then let's talk about some of the stocks and how they play into that, because, um, you know, that was always the issue in terms of LNG being landlocked. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about Canada not being able to participate the way the United States is because we didn't build the infrastructure. So I don't know if you're looking at any Canadian plays that are might be on the infrastructure front or, you know, somehow will benefit. 
I think I think there could be some green shoots in Canada. They are working on one LNG project on the West Coast. But if you look at the history, the government has not been very friendly to LNG uh, industry. At one point, Canada and the U.S. had kind of the same amount of proposed projects maybe 10 years ago. And if you look at what's happened, nothing's been built in Canada. There's that one that's going to be a few years away. The U.S. has actually become one of the largest LNG exporters in in the world. So it's really been a, a, a dichotomy there. I think there's still an opportunity for Canadian gas producers to move their gas down to the coast. The thing is, if you're a U.S. gas producer, you're just going to get a better price because those producers up in Canada do have to pay uh, to move their gas down, however they do it. So what, what you want to see, we do own some gas names in, in Canada. Uh, ARC Resources is one of them because they just have very low costs and lots of gas. But if you see the Canadian government kind of gets more positive on allowing these projects to move forward, that would be a reason to own much more uh, Canadian gas to go with U.S. because they generally trade cheaper than the U.S. names. How long does it take, though, to build a liquefied natural gas plant? Oh, uh, ye- years. Years. It's, then- it's somewhere like five years. There's been yeah. talk that there's new technologies where you can do it in a year or something, but we just haven't seen, seen it yet. The latest project in the U.S. took five years, and I think it just finished ramping up. So it started with five years, not even a full capacity, took another three to get all yeah. the way there. And obviously, you know, ho- hopefully all of the unrest in Europe settles down by then, obviously. Um, but that's obviously one of the key reasons why we have um, such high gas prices in, in Europe that Canada's not able to capture. But back to, to what we're talking about today, I guess, uh, unless you want to add in on that. But but what, what's the what's the stock that you're playing within the net gas theme, the liquefied natural gas? Sure. So, I mean, I'm happy to talk about Europe because I know when you had my partner on a few weeks ago, he was talking a lot about how, how Europe got to that point where they they're have such a squeeze in gas. It just from what it looks like, another catalyst in the here and now is that Europe, you know, for years has said we want more and more Russian gas. We're not worried about relying on them more and more because it just made economic sense. Now, with this whole invasion of Ukraine, they've kind of made the decision. We made a mistake. We got to get off Russia gas as fast as possible. So that really benefits LNG because they're kind of the quickest to supply gas if you need it from somewhere else. Granted, they've are, they're already pretty much sold out everywhere. There's a little bit in the U.S., but this is a huge uh, opportunity for the U.S. because they can ramp up as fast or faster than anyone else. It's still going to take years, but it will have a big impact. And, and Europe is like, I'll take any gas I can get right now. That's why pricing is so high. So that's, wow. that's going to be an opportunity for a number of years. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's longer in the tooth than I thought. Um, so silver bow resources is one of the names you like. Yeah. So there's three ones that are playing the gas, um, theme Two are gas producers in the U S and they're kind of pure play. They, they provide the gas to the LNG facility and that'll get exported. Then there's another one shell that I'll talk about. I'll do that last. That's kind of the more diversified play depending on people's risk tolerance. So Silver Bow is kind of the less known one. It's 350 million market cap. The other ones we're talking about are, you know, a few billion to billions. So right. this is one I like because maybe people don't know about it as much. It is trading cheaper than all these other names, which tells me people don't know about it. Mm-hmm. And there's two key criteria if you're investing in gas. You need to be you need to be the lowest cost producer. So even if gas prices go down, you're still making a decent return and more than everyone else. And then most importantly, you need pipelines or some way to get your gas to market. 
This is the mistake I think early uh, energy investors make if they haven't been doing it that long. They'll just buy a name that's growing fast or it looks exciting. But if it's growing too fast and there's not pipelines, it's not going to get a very good price for the gas and they're not going to really make that money you expect them to make. So huh. when I picked Silverbow, they're in Texas. It's as close as you can get to the LNG facilities and there's lots of pipelines there. So that's key because even though they're growing 40% this year, which is the fastest in the peer group, but they're not going to run out of space on pipelines and that's key. So that's one of the reasons we like huh. them. And and what are some of the, the metrics surrounding Silverbow in terms of market cap, um, cash generation, valuation? How do you look at it these days? Yeah. What's nice, uh, when I was on the sell side, we had to look at all those individual numbers, but now I have the freedom of you look at a big theme and you see it's going to play out. As long as I made sure the pipelines are there, I'm not caring that much about the nuances of each company because I believe it's going to work out. So obviously you look at valuation, you see these guys are trading at like, I think it's something like six times EV to EBITDA and then other people are at, you know, eight to 12, something like that. So it's a good discount. You also want growth. I'm not so worried about growth because I'm more, our investment theme is the pricing of gas is going to be strong. So you don't need growth. All we need is these guys not to grow because they're going to be making so much money. We as energy investors have been burned for like 20 years now. So we want some money back. And mm -hmm. it seems like we may get it this time, but I'm watching laser focus to oil companies in particular that they don't start ramping up because usually they just spend all their cash flow and grow right into a crash in the price. And we don't want right. that this time. So the, it, go, go ahead. ahead. I was, I was just going to say, so like, these guys have, you know, the valuation, uh, yeah. they're growing fast and then they're in the right location. Okay. Do you like management? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think it's a it's a family member of someone who's a legend in, in the industry, uh, who's been at a few different companies. And they've shown that so far, they're good at managing the balance sheet, because you don't want to blow yourself up on debt. So they uh, have recently been doing some acquisitions, which is giving them more oil, but they're still 70% gas, which is what I want. But those acquisitions let them grow faster. And they're being prudent about the debt. So they had to take on a little bit more. But they're saying, you know, with the cash flow we're going to generate, because prices are so good, you pay that down till you're at a comfortable level. And then the rest goes to shareholders after that. Okay. Um, let's take a look at another name, Comstock Resources. Uh, ticker there is CRK. I should also mention for everybody, Silverbow Resources, S-B-O-W. Sam, Bob, old, white. <laughs> I always have trouble with that too. I don't, I don't know the whole alphabet. Am I feeling old today? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. No, no, no. All right. But anyway, okay. So Silverbow, S-B-O-W, and Comstock Resources, CRK. Yeah, so that's another one where Comstock has been one of the best performing gas names. And it, it was part of when you have prices going up, you generally want to buy the most uh, tenuous stock. You want one that almost went bankrupt, but didn't in the last bear market, because they're going to see the biggest rate of change. So Comstock had a lot of debt, but now their cash flows going up so much because remember, oil prices were like $1.50 a few years ago. Now they're at seven or sorry, gas prices. So their cash flow is exploding. They're paying down their debt, which means that there's a lot less risk there. They're also in the Haynesville Shale, which has some of the bigger gas wells. It's between Louisiana and Texas. It's kind of right on the border there. And they have the pipelines. They're very close to the LNG facilities. So it's similar to Silverbow. They just are even more gas than Silverbow, and they're a bigger company with more production. So they're another one that we kind of like for a multi-year period. 
I, I do remember them from years ago and the troubles that they did go through. Um, yeah. Where do you think the institutional investor base is on owning that name these days? They've been coming in, I think, judging by just how the stock price has done much better than everyone else. And so um, these companies are promising that they're going to do things differently. And even if they don't, you can what you can do as an investor is say, I don't think they're going to do anything differently. But what if gas prices fall by 50%? If it still has upside to it, well, then I feel comfortable owning it. We think what happens is, you know, gas doesn't stop being cyclical. It's going to go up and down. But this whole LNG and then uh, natural gas generation bid for natural gas means it goes up and down, but upwards over time. And that's the important difference. So you're not kind of landlocked. And as long as that's happening, these stocks still don't price any of that uh, that upside in because everyone's been burned for so long. They're skeptical about pricing. And so you know, prices are at seven. A lot of these stocks price in $3.50 or $4 gas. So uh, hmm. there's definitely still upside. Okay. Um, let's take a look at the next one at Royal Dutch Shell. Yeah, this is this is a great one because they kind of do it all. So if you're uh, if you don't want to be owning one individual, you know, oil and gas stock, and you you haven't done the work and you don't feel comfortable, this is one that's that's much less risk because they're everywhere. So number one, one out of every five LNG cargos uh, globally is Shell. They bought the biggest company a few years ago, so they have a great insight into the LNG market. And as demand for LNG goes up, they're going to be a beneficiary. But if they were just an LNG company, I'd say stay away. This is a very volatile industry. The industry builds too many carriers. You have an, uh, a glut. Pricing falls, you know, same as in oil and gas. But these guys, they have refineries. They produce gas in Europe and other places. Uh, and they have a trading arm. So they see and are in everything. So say um, there's too many carriers. They can still make money because they're kind of arbitraging prices. So they'll say, well, I can get it from the US for seven and I can send this cargo to Europe because they're paying 40 or I'll send it to Japan instead of Europe because they're paying $5 more. So they do a lot of that stuff. They're going to make money in, in every market and oh. it's it's a, you know, a decent valuation and they pay a good dividend. So you're getting paid cash to wait. And it, it is a great play on this whole you know, LNG uh, natural gas parity theme. Mm -hmm. And I guess what you're saying as well, just given their... Um, their geographic print that they're able to kind of um, do a little bit, bit of arbitrage in the different markets. Yeah, that's huge. Because um, if you were just an LNG, it's tough because it's just a game of who has the ships. And right now it's tight, but it won't always be because you know you can build more ships and convert them. But they also produce some gas. So the price for their gas in Europe is going up. And they're kind of like, the best positioned LNG company without taking that yes. risk of buying just uh, someone who owns ships. And so mm -hmm. we like them, you know, for a lot of reasons. Okay. And it's S-H-E-L, the ticker there. Yes. They changed their ticker recently. So if you're looking for S-H-E-L-L and you're confused, it's S-H-E-L now. Okay. <laughs> I was confused. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Let's, I don't uh, make let's the rules. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, let's take a look at some other themes that you're looking at as it relates to owning some growth stocks. What, what else are you taking a look at? Yeah. So tech is also an industry that's very exciting to me, uh, even when growth is out of favor. And uh, so these are two names that are that are in our ETF and they're they're ones that we're excited about and they're more under the radar. So I, I did want to talk about and make people aware if they wanted to dig in a bit. One is Evercommerce. The ticker is EVCM. They're what we call software as a service. It, back in 2020, 2021, that was like the hottest sector in, in technology. Those stocks 
went up 300, you know, some of them were up five to 10 times. They've come off a lot. So this is an interesting one because it's trading for four times sales when the industry as a whole, the average is double that. And they're growing at something like 35%. So you look, there's some other exciting ones that are kind of the hot uh, software stocks. They're growing at say 50 to 80%. They're uh-huh. trading at 30 times sales. So this is four times sales, still growing almost 40%. Now, why don't I tell you what they did? That's, yeah, that's the key that's, part here. Yeah. And software as a service, you know, we say those names all the time, but what does it mean? What, what does it really mean? What kind of areas are they in? Yeah, that's the thing. It can mean anything because really software as a service, cloud computing is just taking things we do in the physical world and making them digital. So you can, it can be any company digitally. So these yeah. guys are going after the small to medium business and they're going after less tech savvy businesses. These are like small contractors, a physician who owns his own practice, not used to using these technology uh, products all the time. So they're really interesting because it's very underserved and these people don't have a lot of money or the time to like understand very complicated technology. So they make it really simple, but it's customized to what the person does. So they work with uh, physicians, they work with contractors, you know, like plumbers or people that can, uh, carpenters, and they also work with gyms and other people in the health profession. So it's this really interesting mix where it really is a reopening play on COVID as we get back to normal, but it also has a great valuation. And they charge in in general less than $2,000 a year, which is pretty cheap. That's because these small businesses don't have a lot of money, right? Maybe one of these products could have been amazing for them, but if it's $10,000 up front, they're not going to try it. So they understand that. And they're uh, kind of the leader in getting into those less tech-savvy businesses that are doing really well. Hmm, Interesting. Um, How long has the company been around? It actually IPO'd in 2021. So it hasn't been public for very long. It had been around, you know, like four to six years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has it has a decent track record, but publicly it doesn't, but it's gaining a lot of traction. The stock has held up really, really well, considering what's happening in software. As you see, software yeah. stocks a lot are down 50% or more. This is actually flat. So it's outperforming mm-hmm. the overall NASDAQ index, which is impressive. And I think yeah. that's that reopening aspect to it. I don't know if you ever heard of bill.com. I feel it from years ago. Yeah. So they're a similar one where they're going after those non-tech savvy people who used to do billing where they, you know, send you something in the mail and they have papers everywhere all over their desk. They've been very successful at converting those people, especially during COVID to Mm -hmm. use these, this technology, because it saves you Mm -hmm. so much time and it's just more efficient. These guys are doing the same thing. It doesn't seem, it seems like they understand their customer better than most. And so their product is kind of like head and shoulders above everyone. So Mm. an interesting one. And, and how's their sales pipeline looking? Oh yeah, it's, it's strong. I mean, so the main thing they were on our radar because we were looking for growth that was picking up in these businesses because the risk was software as a service is they had all this COVID pull forward growth, then things are slowing. These guys are actually going to grow faster this year than last year. So that, that again, proves that this is more a reopening play right now. And I, that may be doing a disservice because the market is, is uh, only penetrated by 9%. So 9% of small and medium businesses use some type of software service. So very early days there. So it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily reopening, but they're getting a boost because you have gyms coming back that have really been closed. And then with interest rates going up, what's interesting is people are talking about risk to the housing market. But if your house is more expensive, you may not be moving 
And now you're staring at that wallpaper and saying, wow, that's ugly. I need to do something here. That works for these contractors. They get more business to redo houses. And so uh, they'd be using Evercommerce as well. Got it. I was wondering where you were going with the wallpaper, but now I get yes. it. Yes. <laughs> it's an interesting um, nuance because you think of, oh, I'm worried about housing. But if you're a contractor, you might get more business. Yeah, that is, that is very interesting. Um, yeah, a lot of the time, too, when you do see concerns about the overall economy, yes, you know, you might go out there and buy more things for your home. But sometimes you do also just sit and kind of look and where can I tweak uh, as opposed to buying I'm doing that myself right now. So I understand it well. When you're sitting around staring at the wall and it's it's peach colored or something, you're yeah. like, that really, I need to fix this quick. Yes, yeah, it's got to change. Um, <laughs> okay, let's talk about your last one, weed maps. So if you know uh, my work and what I do at Grizzle, we kind of started our whole research process with cannabis. We covered the Canadian cannabis market and made our name there. So that's that sector, we understand it better than most. And this is a unique one, weed maps. If you never heard of them, they're the, uh, they were kind of the first website where if you wanted to find where a dispensary was in North America, you went to Weed Maps, and they were head and shoulders above everyone else. So this is great because this is kind of that picks and shovels approach. It doesn't matter how profitable growing cannabis and selling it is and what happens with pricing. As long as consumers are, uh, there's more and more consumers in the cannabis market, which there are over time. And there's more dispensaries popping up to service those people. Doesn't matter how much money the dispensaries make, Weed Maps still is is making money. You just need what, growth overall. So, a couple of questions. What, what's their business model? Yeah, so it's interesting. They charge the dispensaries to be on Weed Maps. If you don't pay them and you look in your area, their little um, that little like uh, thumbnail or thumbtack won't show up on the app, basically. Interesting. Okay. And, and, um, and what are you seeing in terms of the trends though, in, in the cannabis space, the, the so, demands? Yeah. So I'll talk about one of, one of the things I saw with WeedNaps that piqued my interest is their pricing has only fallen 1% over the last year. And if you look at what's happening with actual, the price of cannabis products in North America as a whole, they've been falling in Canada for a long time. In the U.S., they were stable for a while because it's still early. You know, you, it's uh, you have these medical patients, and there's more demand than supply. But now it's gotten to that point where some of these states are legalizing, and there's there's enough supply. So pricing is down like 15 percent over the last mm -hmm. year. But these guys were only down one. So that tells me even if dispensaries are making less money, Weed Maps is pricing power because they say I need to be on the weed maps platform. So that was, that kind of solidified it for me to say, these guys are going to do well, uh, regardless mm -hmm. of what's actually happening in, in the business of cannabis. But in the business of Canada, the can cannabis, particularly in the United States, do you, what, what kind of growth do you think we'll see? I mean, there was so much hype as we know in Canada, probably much more so than, in, than the United States about the potential uh, of this. I mean, of course, you know, the current government was so hot on this and, you know, you saw a lot of companies come to the market and a lot of them failed. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is uh, the, how the profits, not so much the growth because the growth is there and they're, they've had great growth and you see that cannabis like alcohol has been counter cyclical. When we were all locked down at home, cannabis sales exploded, alcohol sales exploded. Right. So they had a, a great year in 2020 and, and 2021 when other businesses were struggling. The issue is just that uh, cannabis as a whole is a commodity. The flower itself is a commodity. If you look at any yeah. state that's been around for a while and has been legal, pricing just falls to almost the price to grow it. It's like oil, uh, the oil business, basically. 
So the question is, you need to set yourself apart. We're still early days where some companies are making a lot of money because they own one of 10 licenses in a state. So there's not enough supply to meet demand. You can keep your prices high. But over time, we're going to be legal everywhere. That's marching along. Then there's tons of competition. Look at California and 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 um, other Western states. So then you kind of need to differentiate through your products or your branding or uh, what celebrities you partner with. So that's the big right. question mark here. Okay. Um, all right. We are going to leave it there, Scott. Thank you so much for that conversation. I think that's a lot of great information for everybody. And they can all check out you and your colleague, your great colleague, Thomas George, <laughs> and the ETF. Yes. At grizzle.com would be the place to start, I'd say. Okay, great. And the ETF is GRZZ. Exactly. Or ZZ. <laughs> yes. Okay. Like, like Grizzle. Hard to forget. Exactly. You guys are great. All right, Scott, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Right. Thanks, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Okay.